I'm so glad you're here. I want to, uh, in light of our 44th anniversary, I thought it'd be good to uh, share with you, not a sermon per se, but uh, how I feel about where we are, where I am, and uh, what I think we face. And uh, uh, I just wanted to have a transparent sharing time with you, not trying to preach. I'm just sharing my heart, okay? And uh, if I can uh, be done in uh, no more than 40 minutes, which would be miraculous. Uh, if you dare Q&A, if you had questions that I uh, could address, I would. I just, uh, it's not like a business meeting, but I wanted membership for sure to be here and people who care for, about this ministry. And so uh, I think we've got Lisa's helping me out good with a uh, PowerPoint. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians uh, 4. No, I really want chapter 3. I'm sorry. Let's pick up chapter 3. Verse, let's take verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Peter called him the chief cornerstone. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Notice the quality of material going down. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed, be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, though only as through fire. He's really addressing church planters and church leaders. Not just everybody does this fit quite, but especially in the bio of the life of Paul, he was a church planter, and he's writing to this church. God brought me to Corinth, Acts 18, and I uh, laid the foundation there for that church. And uh, he's now writing back, and he's saying, whoever follows me, whatever they do, be sure they don't mess with the foundation. Don't mess with the foundation. Well, 44 years ago, I was 27 when I started this church, and I came out of Pentecost because I was convinced of eternal security, election, and other doctrines of grace. I, I became, uh, for the want of anything else, you call me a Calvinist. I had a man come up to me and tell me, you know, I don't agree with your Calvinism. And I said, well, smell the coffee. I've been here 44 years. What do you expect me to do about you don't believe it? If you don't want to believe it, don't believe it. I believe it. I came 
I planted it. I laid the foundation by the grace of God. And it's really nostalgic to see that first clip up there was our first Sunday, 19. Were you there, Gary, on that first? No, Gary was with us early days. Since then, he's backslid and gone to another church. <laughs> but uh, beloved family member related to Carolyn and his Aunt Nadine here known him for so many years. But we go back, that was our first service. Then we saw that larger group, that was our first Easter. And sometimes you hear people, can't live in the past. I'm not. But I've had, I have, and this church has had a past. And what I like to say is, I want to just rehearse, just quickly, they're, they're no big deal to you, but it's why I came, it's why I stayed, it's why I'm still here I believe in the foundation truths upon which we try to plant this church. And it's not the past. No, ba no matter how tall the building gets, you better be sure you got a foundation. I don't care how long this church is going to go, how big it gets, how small. Let's check the foundation. None of you women have ever bought a house because you like the foundation. I want to see the, the living room. I want to see this room. Guess what? That foundation, if it's termite infested, you won't be there long. The foundation's got to be right. What did I come? What did I teach? What have I yelled, prayed, taught over and over? These truths. These are the truths. Here we go. Number one, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's not revolutionary, is it? Not a pope, not a creed, not a denominational headquarters. I became a community church because I didn't want headquarters telling me what I could preach. I figured if I'm willing to trust God, to believe God for this place, I'm not depending on a preacher's union to tell me what I could preach. I've had enough of that. I came here, Christ will be our head. Two, the cross work of Christ is finished. I preach a completed salvation in the cross work of Christ, and you're not helping out God to help do some works, some penance, or add some church rules. The cross was enough, and we preach the foolishness of the cross to the world that's counted foolishness and stupid to the Greeks, but we preach Christ, the power of God. We're not ashamed of what he did at the cross. We preach Christ crucified. He happens to be resurrected too. Three, we believe you're saved by faith alone. Sola Scriptura, faith alone, not faith plus works, not faith plus a perfect life. I just read a critique recently. I hope it's not true that, that Piper was supposed to say that justification makes you right with God but doesn't guarantee heaven. I hope he gets straight on that. The moment I got justified, friend, heaven was in the bag. I ain't worried about if I'm going to persevere. I will. I've got the seed in me that makes you persevere. The moment I believed, the thief got salvation the moment he believed. We don't want you to be a carnal believer. We don't want you to be into easy believism. 
We don't want you to think you can live like hell and claim to be a child of God. But just believing in Christ alone, by faith alone, he saves you. Put faith in Christ. If you've got a bigger formula, that's not the foundation we lay. Where did we get it? Romans 3, Galatians, the whole book. John, read 115 times. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Faith alone saves. Fourthly, salvation is God's work from the beginning to the end. It's not a syncretistic salvation. It's monotheism. God alone saves, for by grace you've been saved. Fifthly, God's Word, the Bible, is the authority by which we determine what we will believe and hopefully what we will practice. We're with Luther. We will not follow papal dogmas, creeds, church constitutions, all of that. Here I stand, my heart is bound by the Word of God, and I have preached nearly 35 books of the Bible week after week for 44 years, and your witnesses, if you've been around here, I preach the Bible because it's our authority. The Bible alone. The Bible. If you don't like the Bible, man, who brought you here? We want you here. I hope you get addicted to the Bible. That was the great gift God gave to this, early, this church in its early days. A bunch of young people, including a Gary and different ones, they came in. My own brother, we'd been in church, but we had not been fed the word. We, had, we were starving, all of us, to hear the counsel of God. We think it's the word of God. We can't improve it. Grace, not law, saves and sanctifies. I am a grace believer. And if you accuse me that I'm using grace for license, I'm in good company. That's what they accuse Paul of. You better teach enough grace, they accuse you of it. We believe the grace of God can clean up a girl, can clean up a guy, and I don't have to pump 15 rules on them. And I tell you, the Susie Fernandez and the young crowd that we had, all that you could have saw them before and after God got through with them. Grace teaches you to live godly and righteous. It's not a license to sin, but you've got to get people under grace, not law. If you could keep the law, you should have been a Jew and been under Moses, and the whole nation failed. The law zips our mouth, Romans 3.20, and holds every man guilty before God. Thank God a Savior came, not Moses. I don't need Moses. I need a Savior. I'm under grace. Romans 6.14, we're not under law, but under grace. I've taught from the earliest days there's a blessed hope. I believe Jesus is coming any moment, and you have the right to believe that, any moment. The charts have changed for everybody. They've got him here, there, there. He's coming, friend. And his chart will work. And his date will work. Any moment, Christ may come for his church. And his church for 2,000 years have been longing to see him come. We long to see him come. 
thickness of battle, tribulation doesn't matter. Here's something. I believe the Holy Spirit is the energy, the power, and the gifting of the saints of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You can't make it without him. I'll send you another comforter. We cannot be here had it not been the Spirit working. And if he's not working, nothing will get accomplished. Some people say, are you charismatic? You better believe it. I'm as charismatic as Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, 10. And you want to ask any more? Yeah, I'm charismatic. Do I talk in tongues? Not anymore, but I sure enjoyed it when I did. Got a problem? I believe in the Holy Spirit. He's my energy. He's my strength. I love what Spurgeon it was recorded saying that every time, because he preached in an elevated pulpit, and as he climbed up the steps, he would say under his breath, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. If nothing's happening in your life, the Spirit's not in control. You can't make it without him. You've got to have his help. I believe the body of Christ are the ministers, not the clergy on the platform. You are the ministry, but you keep wanting to kick it back. Kick it up. Get the paid guys to do ministry. It's the good way to go back to popery. The clergy are brothers and sisters. We're not above the people. We're one of them. I'm just a minister in the body. So are you. God, all of God's children are gifted. All of them can pray to God. Let's not turn us into a clergy-run church. Let's be, we are the members of the body that can serve one another, right? Every one of you. Then, I think the body of Christ is God's means of reaching a lost world. He has no other means, no other means. He won't send angels to evangelize your family. Uh, he's not going to send the son again. The only one God will use to reach your family will be you or somebody that will obey him. But he uses his church to fulfill this great commission. Uh, let's talk about uh, moving from that to uh, where do I think we are today? Well, number one, we're in a mess as a culture. But we were in a mess when this church started. We were just coming out of the 60s, the sexual revolution, hate Asbury, all of that. We've been in a mess for a long time. But I, as I hear John MacArthur and I hear others, it seems evident that God has given up on America, that he's turned us over to our paganism. Paganism, narcissism, secularism, materialism, and humanism run this country. We're all about ourselves. We're all about money, about pleasure. And the gospel is a serious, serious fight. The ones that are under attack are people like you that are losing your kids, and you're going to lose your grandchildren. Because to have to send one of your children through a California school is disastrous. 
to see the brainwashing they have to live through. So that I see that as a culture, we're in great crises. But you know what? I can't change the culture. I live in the culture. He said, I'll leave you in the world, right? I think the, the bigger thing is, uh, as a church, what are we facing? Well, we're facing these stats that say uh, young people are abandoning church. They've been doing that for now for about 40 years. Nothing new. The youth groups I grew up in were five kids, six kids. I remember telling Malcolm, bring John Mark to our church. They were going to a small, precious fellowship. Bring your kids to Valley. Our youth group's a little bit bigger. Maybe Mary Beth and John and Steve can get it, find a place, and they did. And we gained assets in those kids. Who knows? Young people, we're so glad you're here. You're our treasure. We treasure you. Yeah. Uh, we, we will fight for you if you'll let us. We'll fight for you. And I think these are the challenges we have as a church to refuse to decline or think God's through with us. Is it over? Or can God do a fresh work? Can God bring fresh resources, fresh people, fresh bodies? Some of us have been doing this a long time, and you're tired of looking at us. Can God bring us some fresh troops, some fresh horses? Um, we have to keep recruiting, training, and keep teaching the foundations because m- most of you have never heard these truths taught unless you've been here forever. Our challenge is to raise up competent Bible teachers, youth workers, on and on. I think uh, the challenge is uh, can we keep up with what God wants to do And it it seems, I get overwhelmed. It's been such a negative season in the culture. And uh, uh, we've had in this year a lot of losses and deaths and people move, good people moving, good places to be with children, whatever. We've had a shakeup. We've had attrition this year. And so I say, Lord, we need you to do a fresh work in us. We don't want to be irrelevant to a culture that needs truth, needs the truth. Here's what I would say, the future plans for the church. Now, this is always risky because I'm not a prophet. So when I talk about future plans, what am I really saying? I'm saying what we like to see happen, what we hope would happen. These are some of the things. What are the five E's that I've said our purpose is? I talk about the purpose of this. You know, here's a question you ask in a business. Why do we do the things we do? Why? That's the big question. Why do we do what we do? That has to be answered. It's a tough one to keep wrestling with that. And then, can we, I'm going to read you something that John Piper wrote on leadership that I love, if I could lay my hands on it. I have more material than I need, but when you're not sure you've got anything to say, you overprepare. There's an old saying, when the point is weak, get loud. That's why most preachers yell their sermons. John Piper said, 
of leadership. Now hear this. Spiritual leadership, not General Motors, not the Army. Spiritual leadership seeks to know where God wants his people to be and takes the initiative to use God's methods to get them there. Spiritual leadership is discerning where where does God want his people to be and how can we employ divine methods in reliance on his power to get us there. He says, the answer to where God wants people to be is in a spiritual condition and lifestyle that display his glory and honor his name. That's where God wants his people. He wants, no matter who you are, where you are, what your gift is, what you do in this church, what you do in any other church, he wants you in the condition that you could display his glory and display his name wherever you are. We want to get you there and give you those tools to help you do it. So to do that, we came up with five E's that are really great. The problem with them, we've got the right purpose, but it doesn't mean we know how to implement them the best. And so we're always struggling with that. Number one, evangelism. We don't have a choice about evangelism, do we? The Great Commission. The last two words of the Great Commission is to obey. Teach them to obey. I've known a lot of folks that just want more information, but don't tell them to obey. He wants us to do that. So we've got a Great Commission and... Uh, I like what Jim Cimbala said. I'm following Christ's vision for his church. He said, go, disciple, baptize, and obey, and do it all over again. That's my vision, is to obey the head of the church. And are we going? Are we discipling? And God knows we've got plenty to do. Um. Then we want to equip the saints. That was my mantra when I started because I was taught in seminary, saints need to be equipped. And uh, don't evangelize the saints every Sunday. Don't sing just as I am every Sunday necessarily. Uh, going from a strong, just evangelistic approach, equip the saints. And we understood that to be preach, teach, disciple, Timothy, Wow, small group, every way you can help equip them with the tools for life. So we've sought that. In enfolding ministry, we called it membership, but really, now nah, membership doesn't do it. We're going back and we're starting up home Bible studies again, life groups, connection groups, community groups, whatever you want to call, because we see in this culture we cannot... Uh, you can't achieve everything God wants the body to do with one another in a meeting like this, where it's vertical or one-way communicator. We need you in a small enough group where spiritual gifts can be turned loose on each other, where you can mutually encourage each other, where you can mutually edify. And so the enfolding we're going to really pursue 
more than ever. And as I said, I've been converted more than anyone. Uh, I was never a big fan of small group studies, but I've been rebuked and I've been challenged and I'm willing to change. I am changing. And we want to enlist people as usual. If we could train you to serve and help you discover how God has made you in the body, we want to help you. And in the midst of all of this, we're seeking to exalt God by doing with the church what he wants done. Does he know what he wants the church to do? Does he know? Evangelize, are you doing that? Equipping, are you equipping or being equipped? Are you teachable? Are you enfolded anywhere? in a ministry with a group of believers. It doesn't even have to be organized. Why sometimes I get weary with all this? Everything's got to be organized. It doesn't either. What's wrong with you getting four women to pray, have a cup of coffee, and pray together about life and share the word? Do we have to organize that? Huh? Good night, babies. You get them together. Get them, and you don't have to go through the popes to see if it's okay. Do it. Do it. You need each other. Share. I'm burdened. I wish we had just a specific ministry for our widowed women this year, but uh, I don't need to organize it as much as we just need those sisters to get together, pray for each other, hold each other up in prayer, and you'll be amazed at what you can do for one another that no preacher can do for you. Women minister to women. Men, why don't you start a small study? Why don't you meet some guys after work on Saturday? Why don't you meet just to pray? Uh, we're not expecting you to be the latest John MacArthur Jr. of Contra Costa County. Can you just get together and build up each other in the Lord? Tell them what your marriage is like, what your kids are putting you through, what the boss is like on the job, and that you're afraid that you didn't pay enough taxes. Go to jail with someone. <laughs> Have the fellowship. Don't wait for us to always plan everything. If you want it, do it. Do it. You don't need a permit. Do it. If you see the need and you know three discouraged people say, well, we don't do home studies at Dolly, you know, they don't care. What well, do you do them? Ron Hughes, man, we pay him to be the church administrator. And just about two or three weeks ago, he said, uh, Phil, you won't believe what I'm doing now. And I said, I probably won't. What is it? And what's the name of the home, Ron? Penol Sr. said, he's got some people in there, 101. They're too old to leave his study. He's got him cornered. But he's going down there every, he started it. He started it, not me. Ask Dave Howard how he started a men's study 22 years ago. 1992, didn't even claim to be an apostle, but he said, can I meet with some men? Will you meet? And about 20 of them meet every week. They pray, they look at the word, and they love each other. 
Didn't even go to seminary. Who does he think he is? Malcolm used to do the Bay Park. Matt Nicosia. Come on, body of Christ, break out. Break out. Don't be waiting for headquarters. Headquarters is up there. I said headquarters is up there. What has God made you to do? Don't always come back to us. Well, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. No, no. I'm not going to babysit you. If you don't have any more burn than that, honey, you shouldn't be teaching I'm going to tell you, I'm going to find some saints, no matter how bad this culture gets, somewhere on this planet to get together to pray, share his word, and say how much we love Jesus. Is that hard to do? I shouldn't be. I said I wasn't going to preach, but I did. <laughs> I think um, we want to um, do those purposes. We believe they fit the basic purposes of the church. Some plans for the future. We're hopefully in January, we're going to launch home study groups. We're going to start training people to be small group leaders in, is that November or October? October 26th, we're going to start a training program on Monday night. We're recruiting deacons and elders and people to help us. We're going to go after it big. So you folks that have been saying, when are we going to do it? We are going to do it, and we hope we do it better than ever. We feel like we need additional staff, so we've got to find staff. We've had a, a, a difficulty the last few years. You folks give wonderfully. You, you give to our building program and it's been doing wonderful. You've outdone yourself. But in our ministry general fund, we hit and miss, hit and miss. And we keep trying to find out what, and this fund, we barely meet the budget for it. And uh, we've not replaced positions that have been vacated because we run red ink, we get in the black. But we need, there's only three full-time pastors on the staff. Three, for this church of nearly a 1,000 people, me, Tim, uh, and Sean. David volunteers. We don't pay him a dime. He does. See, I want more Davids. If you're free, we'll hire you. <laughs> if you're free, you look good. You sure get a lot of your family. Yeah, they've been free. As soon as you walk in, we've got to figure out how to pay you. Free. Does it seniors? He oversees that. Done it for years. Larry works a 12-hour week. The rest of the time, he runs a company. There's only three full-time men. We need a small groups pastor. It's going to be a lot of work to run that. I, I'm kind of sick that we lost David Tottle and the young adult. Paul Crandall, we thought, was going to go there and do that. For Paul told us... I'm not going anywhere. Three months later, I feel like I should leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? And said, so you just told us you're not going anywhere. Why are you leaving? I don't know. <laughs> well, we don't want you to leave. We want him to stay. But we stay flat on, re we didn't replace anybody trying to cut down, live within our means, and, oh, we're not meeting budget anyway. And so then 
We had these other things. Had to deal with the Gabe Lopez, deal with the sin that was going on in his life. Painful exit. But we had to do it, or sin. So we need to replace, and I know this, we've got to replace ourselves with younger faces so the young people won't say they're ugly and talk about their age. We know that. Now, that's a great challenge to us to go out and find people. Uh, I've got to find people that could replace me, that could be added to this pastoral staff. But here are some of the challenges. Not only do I want them to be theologically exactly a ditto of me, They can vary in 1%, their wife, who they decide to marry. We do differ over women. But I got to get somebody that comes in here that loves black people, that loves diversity, that loves Filipinos. So if I go out and get someone, do I just get an Anglo? Do I get a black? I wouldn't care if we got a black pastor. I wouldn't care if we get a Filipino. I just want the one God wants, God, whoever. We do not care what ethnicity they are, do we? Whoever God wants. But I mean this. I can't get a racist in here. And I can't get someone that's like, the Bay Area is so bad, you can't hardly live for God here. I can't raise my kids here. Well, I did. And a whole lot of... Can you love us where we are planted? This, you know, Steve Fernandez and I, one time, everybody's having an exit. They were all moving to Idaho. And one day, Stephen came into my office, bless his heart, and he, they, of us who know Stephen, he, he could set his jaw. And he just set his jaw and said, Phil, Paul went to Ephesus. He went to Corinth. He went to Rome. He didn't go where there's a bunch of antelope and a bunch of trees. Let's go where the people are. There's millions in the Bay Area that are dying for lack of the gospel and the lack of the word. Why flee? Let's stand. They need God. They need God in this pagan area. Um, Let me say, adding staff, young adults, something I'm planning to go after. And going to have, I want to go back to camps. I think our kids need youth camps again. I think we need marriage camps. We dropped camps because of one of our, one of our the latest youth thing was to drop camps. I say baloney. Why did we listen? Well, the big thing, you know why we don't do camps very much? It costs kids about 350 to 400 for a week. Anybody ever go to youth camp for $70? Well, but you know what? This church, this church, you underwrite most of the kids for winter camp every year. You're the ones underwriting. Most of them don't, can't afford it. We scholarship everybody practically. Because all the kids come from unsaved homes, and their mom and dad won't dare write a check for them to go to a Christian camp. But you know what? I think we do the same thing in the summer because we were talking to Jack Hamilton recently. He asked his staff of 15 pastors, how many of you made a major decision at a youth camp in your life? And he said 80% of them all had either been saved or had been called to the ministry at youth camp. I think we need to invest in camp. I want us to do it. Um, we want to hire interns. 
We like to get young men, young women, and if we can give them some kind of stipend and while they're in college, whatever, pay them a bit, work with us, train them to hand off ministry. I think we want to be planning financial strategies this next year that we come to you and ask you to give, but we desperately need to train the people in this church and our young couples especially how to manage a dollar and get out of debt. Uh, I don't care if it's Ramsey. I don't care if it's Crown. The different pro because it's kind of terrible to constantly want you to write a check when you say, you don't know how much I'm in debt. I don't even know how to do a budget. Would you help me? Would you teach me? And you got to quit being so proud that when we offer financial help, you don't come in. But you'll ask us to help you other ways. We want to teach you. We don't want to embarrass you. We want to give you the tools we hope to get above financial crises. Well, uh, let me just wrap up here. I'm not done. I was only stopped tonight, but I'm not done. Um, oh, I, my seventh point. Y yeah, I, I get asked quite a bit anymore, when are you going to quit? It's a little hurtful. <laughs> they come up, they look at you, and they, uh, man, when are you going to stop? Well, I'm like the one pastor, he said, when I start drooling in the pulpit, I've got 10 years left. <laughs> uh, not, I hope that never happens, but any. Uh, I have to say this. I was gone in my 60s. I was planning exits, exits, because uh, I, I don't want to be, you get self-absorbed, but my brother who's here, he knows, had two, I broke this hip, this right hip, and from then on, I wound up uh, in uh, uh, crippled children's uh, fun, uh, braces, crutches, doctors. I lost my hearing went into paralysis, became a lisper, couldn't say an S. And my poor mother, with her seventh child, putting her through all of this, doctors, 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 and always in pain. Okay? So that lasted from age two to the age of 69. I was never in a group of men and not wonder, is there anybody here out of pain? So I lived with it. And two years ago, I had my fifth surgery, two back, three hip, finally got me out of pain. And uh, that is why, and that is basically gave me a new lease to even have the energy to keep going. Because when you're in pain, you don't feel like keep going. Uh, and so I've had an energy given to me. I, I'm a diabetic, so energy's up and down. If you knew everything wrong with me, you would take me out tonight, call an ambulance. <laughs> uh, but diabetes, five surgeries, all this. Well, when? What's the exit? Uh, number one, I am willing to leave Valley Bible any moment, any moment, if that's God's will.
I don't own this. I've talked to the elders. We're trying to figure out how to transition me so that, uh, you know, it's a good thing. And, And we need that wisdom. But I think that right now, I am looking, and I want you to be looking and praying. We're looking. We love to develop a strong preaching uh, circle among us. I would love to get our successor, whoever that will be, whether among us now or we have to get someone that could get here and get to know you and see if you're going to like them. Anybody can wow you for a month. It's living with each other as pastor people. And a long-term pastor like me, this church is statistically doomed to decline just when I resign. That's the deal. Founder churches, guys that stay a long time, the next guy, all he does is uh, watch it die. And so it's a very tricky thing. Can we see God bring in help alongside of us while we're alive? And uh, because I think of the team I've been with, the people I've been with all these years that, that have served. Uh, I, I mean, people, the names I know well, we've been a team for years. And I'm not the only one getting older. <laughs> I've watched a con- congregation. We've, we've grown together from the 20s. The other day I was thinking, I've pastored in the 70s. I've pastored in the 80s. I've pastored in the 90s. I've pastored in the 2000s. I'm now in the fifth decade of pastoring. Four years into it. Six more years I will have been here, 50 years. That's unheard of. Yeah, that's unheard of. Uh, Uh, my bragging? No, I'm saying God brought me, He's kept us together, given me a loving people. And so uh, we thank God, but we are praying about transition. We're not asleep. I'm willing to step aside. I would like, if I could, preach part-time, receive full-time pay. <laughs> and uh, let's see, uh, what else? What other perk? Uh, paid vacations. I mean... I'm willing to step. I'm willing to whatever elders, leadership. I do not want to overstay. I do not want to, uh, I don't want to suck this church dry. I'm here as long as I think God is helping me to help you. But once I become a liability, God let me know. And the voice that said, come, just release me and I'm gone and I won't bother the next pastor, and I won't tell him how to do it. I'll just be glad that, Lord, I stand amazed that you saw fit to use us so long. To God be the glory. Well, this is what I, uh, on what I think I would like to see us do. I'm going to do them quick. Number one, this sounds so Monday, seek the face of God. If we seek God's face, he will give us his people, his staff, his direction. I'm counting on him. It's the only voice that brought me. Nobody told me to come to start this church. Nobody. My sister Hazel went, broke out in cold sweat. 
because she's going to another church, Central Assembly. She didn't know if she wanted to come work with me. Am I, did I eat pizza and I'm renting a dance hall? What are you doing? Hey, he said, come. He'll make it clear. But let us seek the face of God as a people. What God do you have for our future? Send us your people. Give us direction. Two, let us cling to the foundation. I hope, this is one of my fears, I hope some charismatic guy doesn't come in here and talk you out of the foundation truths. Man, I would be grieved if they took you back under to legalism, got you back under works, started teaching a different Christ. Oh, oh, I would turn over my grave. I want you to cling to the foundation. To the foundation. Three, I would say men in this church, stand up. We've got too many men doing nothing. Men, God has designed you to be leaders in the church and leaders in your home. I didn't say despots. I didn't say dictators. I said leaders. People who can manage their own affairs well and be models, godly care. We need you. We need you in teaching studies. We need you serving. We need you to be a godly man. We need you nurturing and treating a wife and children with all spiritual diligence. Uh, three, parents, if you've ever needed to wake up, don't be asleep while your children are at home. Shape them, shape them. If you have to drive old cars, do everything you can to educate them the best of your ability. Fourthly, I just got to keep going. Pour yourself into the lives of others and don't just live for yourself. Uh, pray for the leaders of this church. Submit to them, not as popes, not as infallible, but make our job easy. Quit bucking us. If you're bucking us, you're out of God's will. If you want to correct us, if you want to instruct us, if you want to inform us, please, please. But we want to get somewhere with you, not without you. We got to be a team, and that's hard to do. I'd say young adults, uh, we've got a burden for you. We want to get someone to identify that group. We got Mark Sanchez, been donating. He works on a job. He, he's got a brand new baby. He comes in, can you hire me? We have no money. I'll do it anyway because I got a burden for it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. But there's just so much of him available. Um, I want us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would thrust in labors. Uh, Malcolm doesn't have long in this world. David doesn't have long. I don't. You don't. Where could we get a new generation of 20-year-olds, 30, full of energy, full of unending energy, whereas I am comatose by 10. I don't want to party all night. Party days, bye-bye. I'm going to cruise. Finally, I just say this do you think the God who leads a church this far has predestined its decline? Does, as the culture gets darker and further from God, has God ever done his best work in the darkest hour? 
I believe, I believe we have a hope. If it's focused on him, not on men, I'm counting on him. And pray he'll show me what to do. I don't want to be a liability. If he's using me, I want to be here. If he'll give me strength, I'm here. Because you, church, everything I've got in life, this church gave me. I landed here, $400 in debt, broke, sold my car, moved in with my brother. I had no economics. Everything I now have, God gave me through you. Thanks for being so kind to my family. God bless you.